0: After cop twenty six failure to reach consensus on agriculture, nature delivered a smack behind Canada's head. Here is Brigitte Jim in the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. Please hang out with me in the kitchen for a moment, pull yourself a chair, as we will talk about some pretty serious international matters that have really important domestic consequences here in the west coast of Canada, but also all over the world where agriculture is practiced. In case you didn't know, industrial farming is killing the climate and the planet. For once, it's not just those with the lowest emissions that are getting walloped by weather harsh enough to collapse infrastructure and take lives. Canada has benefited handsomely from natural resource extraction, including fossil fuels, of course, but also the nutrients from rich sedimentary soils of our flatlands. Well, this week, British Columbia received a notice from Mother Nature that there is a problem with the way we have been doing things around here. As the floodwaters are just receding a bit and we take stock of all that has been destroyed, I just pray that we're not going to throw ourselves into rebuilding everything that was lost exactly the way it was. The mudslides and flooding in the Lower Mainland of British Columbia come right on the heel of the conclusion of the 26th Conference of Parties in Glasgow. There is no doubt that a confluence of factors related to climate change are heavily contributing to a catastrophe whose magnitude is still hard to fully appreciate. Listen to this. All Canadian routes to Vancouver, the country's biggest port, were shut down by mudslides and collapses some long segments of which will be unlikely to reopen for months. If you think supply chain issues were bad before, well, just wait. A whole town, Merritt, remains evacuated as the flood caused the complete failure of its wastewater treatment plant and swept away entire homes that went floating down the river. Mother Nature delivered a history lesson by reminding us that the now-called Sumas Prairie, which is a large flat plain in the Fraser River Valley, was until recently called Sumas Lake. This wildlife-rich area was drained in the 1920s using dikes and pumping stations to increase farmland and feed the growing local population in this otherwise rather mountainous region. And farm we did! The area is now home to roughly 60 dairy farms and as many poultry farms. There are not the kind of quaint farms of yore, you know, Charlotte's Web style. We are here talking about industrial farming with thousands of animals crammed in small spaces, feeding on grain imported from other provinces on the other side of those big mountains. On Tuesday night, the mayor of Abbotsford, the agricultural hub that was built on the top of Sumas Lake's remnants, issued a dire warning. Complete evacuation of the lowlands of town was now warranted due to the likely breakdown of the Barrowtown pumping station. Official messages were very clear. Leave the farm animals behind. Human lives are at risk. Well, by Wednesday morning, the worst had been averted, in part thanks to the efforts of hundreds of crew members and volunteers. But major damage had already been done, and another river of rain forecast for next week will keep officials and crews from sleeping. In addition, those farmers lucky enough to have animals left alive will soon have nothing to feed them, because road and rail disruptions will prevent new shipments of feed from streaming in. Imagine, if you dare, hundreds of thousands, of animals drowning, carcasses floating away as waters keep moving, spill manure pools, and more. Aside from the individual animals suffering and their lost lives, we're contemplating the fouling of the soil and the groundwater, a complete toxic mess. The dose makes the poison and when the feces of millions of animals are piled into a small area, something terrible is bound to happen, eventually. And now, it has. Glasgow was a lost opportunity. There are lots of reasons why any conversation on climate change should include agriculture. Not only agriculture causes at least 20% and probably up to half of all greenhouse gas emissions that warm the planet but growing food is also profoundly disrupted by and vulnerable to changing weather patterns. Many of us in developed countries have for decades taken access to food for granted because it just seems to appear on the shelves of our grocery stores. While with the COVID-19 pandemic and increasingly frequent extreme weather events from fires to flooding, my fellow British Columbians are waking up to the complexities of the global food chain. Yet, food and agriculture remain marginal topics at climate summits. They're discussed in a separate stream of sessions, dubbed the Koronivia Joint Work in Agriculture. It was expected that after four years of work, the Coronivia process would be reaching some sort of agreement on a path forward at COP26. They even had a promising two-page draft. There is generalized consensus that industrial agriculture as we've come to rely on it is highly problematic. Our soils are degrading fast and industrial livestock management is just not sustainable. Smaller farms that integrate livestock with grain and vegetable farming and empower farmers, as opposed to multinational seed and chemical companies, are largely believed to be the path of the future because they make more rational use of soil resources and because they enable a food system that is more resilient to stuff like climate change-related catastrophes. Generalized consensus? Well, yes, except that countries including the United States, India and Canada are pushing back, notably stalling the inclusion of even the word agroecology in that agreement from the Coronivia process. For now, the working group has managed to pull together draft text elements for an agreement, Everything that is in brackets in the document, and that's practically every word of it, still needs to be negotiated at COP27 in Egypt next year. Apparently, Canadians would rather continue to rely on the industrial farming model that yields unnecessarily high volume of animal protein for human consumption. We like our huge dairy farms and endless fields of canola, keeping them divided by chains of mountains we especially appreciate the high-tech jobs in multinational corporations and subsidizing their research and development. Are we going to rebuild our local agriculture just the way it was? Obviously, the atmospheric river that soaked British Columbia last weekend would not have spared us just because we would have supported the inclusion of agroecology in the Coronivia Agreement, but the karmic coincidence is nevertheless hard to ignore. As everyone involved from farmers to ministers is now pulling out a calculator to estimate the damage and the cost of rebuilding, one would hope that we would at least reconsider our agricultural model if only because it's in our best interest, if we want to have something to eat as climate-driven catastrophes shrink our universe on an increasingly frequent basis. In his eye-opening paper, Deep Adaptation, A Map for Navigating Climate Tragedy, Professor Jem Bendel, from the University of Cumbria in the UK, points out that climate change forces us to contemplate relinquishment. In other words, open quote, what do we need to let go of in order not to make matters worse? End quote. I say we have to let go of industrial modes of farming animals for the production of meat, dairy and eggs. Those methods have proven efficient at producing enough animal protein to feed every Canadian over 200 pounds of it every year. But we know now that such high levels of consumption are not only unnecessary, but also deleterious to our health. Sure, small-scale agriculture inspired by agroecology principles would yield smaller amounts of such... foods, but actually, that would be a good thing for us. We would individually improve our health and collectively make more rational use of our land and soils. Talking about this topic today, as many homes and barns are still filled with over a meter of water feels a little bit like mentioning the United States foreign policy on September 12th, 2001. It's not going to make me many friends. But seriously, if we're not discussing it now, we are going to miss a precious window of opportunity to make important changes to our food policy. Thank you for listening and I hope to see you again in the Vegan Family Kitchen where we normally talk more about meal planning, batch cooking, dealing with the preferences of all those different people at our table. But once in a while we have to get serious to embrace policy topics because they have such a huge impact on the foods that are available for us to eat. In the meantime, if you would like to grab yourself a free meal plan to get better at being planned and plant-based, being organized in the kitchen, go to veganfamilykitchen.com and download one of my free samples today. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care.